Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. It was interesting to have such a philosophical approach from technology people about um, their belief in digital identification and, and as as a philosophical question. So that was a bit surprising. But there were also some really um, valuable lessons that it would have boded well for compliance people to be in the room to hear. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher and I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine and GRC Professional Online. And today we have our managing director, Naomi Burley, with us once again. Hello. Uh, so today we're going to do something a bit different, um, and I guess to set the stage, um, I think close to the beginning of this month we went to the Tech and Gov conference in Canberra, and it was pretty interesting. There was a lot of discussions around um, cybersecurity and digital identity, but I guess what was interesting is that we weren't talking to industry about the development. It was government looking at how they can utilize, um, I guess, those processes, and we have seen them use them badly in the past. Um, I think somebody defined them as a hodgepodge at the event, um, all these different units of digital identity that are not connected together. And I guess the conversation we're going to have today is just some of the learnings that we, we came away with from that event, you know, that industry can use and how they move. So I guess... On to Naomi. I mean, what were some of the key takeaways that you took from that event? Yeah, look, it was really, really interesting. As you've prefaced, we really went um, on behalf of our members to find out about what's going on around digital identification, um, knowing your customer, all that kind of stuff, and the impacts of the um, consumer data rights legislation and what's all going to happen in that space and how people are handling that from a technology perspective, given there's been such a big push from financial services regulators alone to use technology better and to do all that kind of stuff. So, sort of stepping back from that, the learnings that I got out of the event, completely different from what I thought I would get. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really interesting to ha- be having the kinds of conversations that I feel like compliance people need to be included in on with not a single compliance person in the room. So, these are the kinds of conversations that government IT security specialists are having with technology providers. Um, a without any kind of compliance or governance sort of framework people in the room. So they're doing this independent. So I think that's part of their problem of why everything's a bit of a hodgepodge. It hasn't been thought through in a systems and an outcome basis. Um, it was interesting to have such a philosophical approach from technology people about um, their belief in digital identification and, and as as a philosophical question. So that was a bit surprising. But there were also some really um, valuable lessons that it would have boded well for compliance people to be in the room to hear all around that cybersecurity angle. Um, you know, education is key as a mitigation strategy because people are your weakest link yep. um, in addition to hackers, obviously. But people often provide the gateways for hackers to get in as well. Um, you know, and we had people in the room who are desirable targets for deliberate um, deliberate hacking attempts. So it was, a, it was a, again, a bit of a different perspective from some of our members who may be a little bit laissez-faire about this kind of thing because they don't see themselves as a desirable target and it's not really up there on the risk register. So it was a different conversation altogether. We had a had a speaker from the defence unit talking about their IT security, and then five minutes later, we read about um, their infrastructure problems. Part of that, um, actually, my reading then of that article then was skewed slightly because I understood that part of the 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 reason their systems move so slowly it's a payoff and cost potentially of their security issues. But that's a whole other thing. 
What was really, really interesting from our members' perspective, I thought, so my two biggest takeaways aside from digital identification may never be solved, um, was uh, the idea of everything moving at such a rapid rate from a business perspective and a disruption perspective and technology driving that. And um, and the Data 61 people who were there talking about the invisible technologies we have out there that are altering business um, models at such a rate that regulation hasn't got a hope in hell of keeping up. Um, and we think that things like the Royal Commission are disrupting the brokerage model and um, remuneration models. Um, that's nothing compared to how that those kinds of industries are going to be disrupted um, by technology and by different, different ways um, that consumers are going to engage with those um, technologies as they go forward. So probably thematically then, sorry, Kwame, if you want to throw in a question at any <laughs> stage, feel free to interrupt me. Um, I really, really, really enjoyed the um, inside Facebook session with the former CEO talking about what were their big pivot points and how they're keeping alive yeah. because even though they seem like this massive entity. Um, CEO of um, Australia, New Australian, Zealand. Australia, <laughs> sorry, no, we didn't get, <laughs> get that exciting. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, Stephen Sheila, um, former CEO as well yeah. even. Um, but they've had a number of points where they could have been the ones being bought out as opposed to the ones buying out everything else. And this is what's interesting in this data space and I really think that this is where compliance and risk people need to come to the fore and demonstrate their value around opportunity risk. Because these were all risks, but they weren't identified by the risk management people. They weren't identified by regulations or anyone else. Proactively, they were identified by someone who's a strategic thinker, but they needed to be managed in a really sensible way. Um, and we've all seen these on the horizon. We've had this conversation with members a number of times, but I think if Facebook's taking these kinds of things seriously, it's something that Australian entities should be taking seriously. Yeah, I, and I guess especially important post-Cambridge um, Analytica. But, um, you know, you mentioned the guy from the military, and what was interesting about his presentation was his discussion about the prefix cyber and his sort of connecting it to the word defense, you know, it's, it's all about defense, um, not necessarily building higher firewalls defense, but just having that awareness and that education, which you mentioned already. Yes. And he gave a, a certain level of scenarios, and I'm not really sure how much I'm allowed to say and not say, <laughs> but um, he gave some scenarios where um, basically people were giving up too much information on the internet and not necessarily behind paywalls, but freely accessible information. So they would do a couple of exercises and they could be able to determine where people are, what they're doing, their common habits, and even their intent by just accessing their social media profile. So it goes back to those teachings that we, we've we had around um, social engineering and awareness of your behavior online. Yep, um, yep absolutely. There was, there was definitely that around the cybersecurity space. And I think that that's really sensitive for Australian organisations even. We're in a global economy now and um, assuming that there are no state-based interests in your data is being incredibly naive. Um, there, there are markets out there for all kinds of intelligent data. You, if you wandered into your marketing department and asked them what they do with your customer data and how they use that, um, that wouldn't be a patch on, say, what the Googles do but it's still valuable to them to have that data and it's valuable to someone else as well. 
Um, so it's it's a certain naivety was mm. was also one of the central themes mm. a, across the board in this in this tech space, um, where your average Australian citizen is more likely to trust Google and Facebook with intimate data recording and Strava and all those other applications than they are the government. So government's got its own trust and culture and conduct um, issues to deal with, but. Uh, what we're all up against is this education piece for customers and an education piece then for your staff because they assume that everyone's going to do the right thing and somehow magically things are going to happen and the government's going to be on top of this. And it was very apparent, uh, if it hasn't been already, that they're not and regulation can't keep up. And do we really want more regulation yeah. um, th that's down to down to the nth degree around this stuff. So it's all around, there is an opportunity in all of this for compliance and risk professionals to be across this. This this is big picture stuff where you don't have to be a tech head to understand the concepts behind it. It's all around thinking and doing the work. Uh, there are government agencies out there who have undertaken the big pieces of work to map their data and they're calling them data lakes. Um, and I know that there are plenty of um, organisations who are members who haven't done that, who don't have an understanding of what they hold and where they hold it, mm. um, even with CDR having been discussed for so long yeah. as a theory. Yeah. So, you know, that's my number one piece. The number two piece is around AI and where that will that will come in as a big theme. It was being utilised everywhere as both as an opportunity and a risk. Um, it's an opportunity definitely for compliance and risk people. It doesn't matter what the dialogue is around reg tech. Um, the indicators from people running Data61 at the CSIRO and beyond, even Facebook, is that it's people who are going to make those calls. It were, it were people at um, Facebook who listened to the, what they call the murmurs in the data, the quiet data at the background that had them buy Instagram, had them make a people-based strategic decision. And that's the opportunity for compliance and risk people who are listening to these things where others in their organisations may not be. You're listening to your customer base who are making the complaints. You are listening to the data that goes on. You're trying to figure out what you've got and what you haven't got around your customers. You're trying to listen to um, regulators when they tell you other people in your industry have this, this and this problem. Be proactive. This is your opportunity to be strategic and change the model. That's exactly what the Amazons and the Airbnbs and the Ubers of the world did. They listened to the rumblings and changed the model. And um, and this is your opportunity to be a little bit strategic around that too. A lot of the stuff that the Facebook CEO identified around what he was calling their pivot points are all things uh, that are connected to um, uh, regulatory risk and operational risk. You know, privacy, AI, um, changes in business models for other people, things that the data is saying that your gut tells you is right or isn't right, um, all kinds of stuff. I'll throw it over to you if you can remember <laughs> any other while I find my page. Well, I think privacy was actually the very last one. And I think that, you know, and he, he acknowledged that privacy was the sort of big point at the end because um, obviously of what the events that took place and, you know, the accusations and the way that data was used and the way they could have protected it better and they could have used it a bit better. Um, so I think those are the critical questions, not questions. And I, it's interesting that they brought Facebook in because I think it is a reminder that while we may have this public and private, the the situations are not all that different and there are learnings that come from the other. And a perfect example would be, we mentioned um, digital identity and consumer data, right? 
And there was a session with the Reserve Bank and Australian Payments Network, and it was this kind of conversation where they were sort of expecting um, probably a model where payments and banking is going to drive um, CDR and digital identity, and then all the other services are going to come and sort of lump on top of it. And this model comes from um, a graph that they showed from what happened in Sweden with um, Bank ID Sweden. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. they said, you know, obviously there are cultural differences and it won't happen exactly the same way, but there are similarities. will drive will drive what we end up with. And so as, yeah, compliance and risk people, this is your opportunity to contribute meaningfully and intelligently to where that goes. Um, you know, this is your advocacy piece on behalf of Australian citizens who are very, very reticent for this model, uh, but it'll happen whether they like it or not. Um, yeah, so it's all around be be a little bit proactive, have a, have a look at New Zealand. They are, New Zealand have stretched into the beneficial ownership space, which I know a lot of people would welcome, but it's all around we don't trust some of the data um, original data. So some of some things are going to have to be tidied up first before uh, big pieces can happen. Yeah. Um, and that's the same across the board with all these themes. Uh, AI can only do so much. It can't interpret interpret certain things around language um, and uh, and and achieve the understanding that a human being can. So it can be used in a an immense but limited capacity. Um, we also, as compliance and risk people, again, giving advice to our members, need to look at these kinds of case study examples and look at how people are changing to interact. Yeah. And it's hard work being agile, um, but it's one of those things that if you want to keep being relevant, if you want to keep getting your core messages out, for instance, having your policies and procedures on a piece of paper in an induction manual that you hand to new staff is um, not going to have the impact that using mobile, using messages, using video, all the same things that your social media platforms use have because that's how people are interacting and and consumers are driving it. That is being market-driven and we can learn lessons from that side of things as well. Absolutely. And and if we want to bring stuff closer to home, I mean, we can just really consider the hearings that we just had um, that ASIC ran on responsible lending. And many of the sort of the broker aggregates all mentioned, you know, they're sort of looking forward and how they can utilize the consumer data right once it comes into play, as well as the comprehensive credit reporting once, of course, all that stuff is sort of sorted out. So it's not that far away. I mean, some part, you know, digital ID may be a bit philosophical, but there are elements of it that are very practical and will affect your business quite soon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, if that is the if that is the methodology that comes out, comes about, and Austrac or any other regulator says we actually like this standard here, thank you very much, then you will have to move over and you will have to shift all your systems. So now is the time to be strategic, proactive, because part of your remit as a compliance and risk person isn't just about making sure you are compliant with the law, it is about making sure your organisation can also achieve its strategic aims. So you're running two things at the same time. They are meant to work together Um, So regulators don't necessarily, uh, you know, regulation is a very blunt instrument, um, but regulators don't necessarily want to set up obstacles to businesses achieving their strategic outcomes. And it's actually, you've got a very sophisticated remit in compliance and risk role to make sure those two things happen simultaneously. So despite the rhetoric and the reputation for being the handbrake, it's up to you to keep demonstrating over and over again that that's simply not the case. You managed to run that car on a really complex course 
um, you're not putting the brake on anything, but the organisation will find that the handbrake is applied by a regulator if they haven't got all their ducks lined up. And it's it's um, they're really fast-moving ducks these days. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's pretty much all. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Or no, no, but, you know, Kwame and I were debating before we came in here which thing we would talk about because <laughs> there were so many things. But I think in future broadcasts we will definitely go into this model around digital um, ID. Uh, as an institute, we've uh, tried to get speakers in to talk about them, what's happening in digital identification. And obviously at a government level, they're having lots and lots of talks. So we definitely want to explore that topic um, and a lot of these other, um, there were a lot of other technology options that are out there that ironically enough are not calling themselves RegTech, but they look super useful for helping you manage, especially your CDR and your, and your compliance obligations. So um, stay tuned, we'll be exploring how technology can actually help and then what you'll need to do about your job spec to, um, to fit in where, uh, where it needs intelligent human interface um, and strategic advice. Right, excellent. Well, thank you very much, Naomi. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> this podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute, and the music was produced by Rob Neary.